Our Old Testament reading comes from 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 7. This is just after God has made covenant with King David that he will have a son that will sit on his throne forever. And then we hear that David prays to the Lord. So this is uh, 2 Samuel 7, beginning in verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. There's so much that could be said uh, about this prayer. Honestly, even as we were just reading it, there were things that stuck out to me that uh, I hadn't even uh, maybe considered before. Uh, but particularly today, what you should see is the way in which David in prayer is aligning himself with the revelation of God. God has just given him this revelation. He's spoken to him this promise of what's going to happen in his family, that he will have a son that will sit on his throne forever. And this is pointing to, ultimately, Jesus Christ, the son of David that would come as the true king, the true heir of David. But God promised that it was through the house of David that he was going to work. And David brings his prayer into alignment with that promise. David was a shepherd boy. He was taken from a, a pasture to a palace. He experienced the tremendous blessing of God in his life. And now he was promised you know, even more. And you hear the humility in his voice as he then comes before the Lord and, and prays to him. Who am I, O Lord God? 
And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Now we're told in scripture that David was was ruddy and handsome. He was an incredible musician where all of Israel uh, knew of his musical abilities, right? He was a kind of rock star. He was also at the same time a great warrior, right? Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands, right? So, and not only that, he was, he was clearly a man of, of great strength and confidence and the kind of man that could inspire others. So many flocked to him and followed him. So he was a man of, in a lot of ways, incredible stature. And yet, before the Lord, he recognizes that it's nothing. Right? Who am I, he says. Right? Who am I that you, Lord God, have done all of this, that you've promised now something even greater for my family? He reflects on all of the the covenant history of God's people as God gathered for himself one nation, one people, that he would be their God. And now he sees his own family's place in that story, their place in that covenantal history. And so he says, and now, O Lord, confirm forever the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. David prays in uh, pretty striking confidence that God would do as he says, right? He says, God, do it. Accomplish what you're saying you're going to do. And he can do that. He can speak boldly even to the Lord, not not out of some kind of presumption, not out of some pride that, that he thinks highly of himself as if he could counsel the Lord. No, it started showing his, his humility. But he can do so because he knows that this is God's will. God has revealed it, and so he prays according to the will of God. Right? Therefore, your servant has found courage, he says. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And so as you hear and learn the word of God, as you, you learn to know his promises and his will for you and for the church and for the world, then your prayers should take shape around his revelation. Right? Your prayers should take the shape of what God himself has spoken. Your prayers as communication with God are responsive to what he has first said. And so pray. Pray that God would bless you and your family, that he would bless this church according to his express will in Scripture. And allow his revelation to shape and form your response to him. Align yourself, your will, your desires, and your prayers to him. And what that will do is it will give you courage and confidence as you pray, knowing that this is what God wants. Right? He has said it, he has promised it, and so it's what he wants, and so you can pray with confidence. Our New Testament reading is uh, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we'll read from uh, verse 9 to 13. Jesus says to you, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. We're now uh, coming to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. There are six petitions that you'll find in the Lord's Prayer. The first three are directed toward the Lord himself. So hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then the second three have to do more with our earthly existence, what what we need from the Lord. So give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's not so unlike uh, the the breakdown of the Ten Commandments, as we have the first four directed toward uh, the Lord himself and what our duty is concerning him, and then uh, the, the next six having to do with our duty concerning man. You get... Uh, kind of a similar or or parallel uh, makeup of this prayer. And this first petition is of primary importance. Not not that the rest isn't important. It's all connected. It it all goes together. And so I'm not saying that. But it's it's a primary importance that we understand this. As we've said, the Lord's Prayer directs us in our worship and in how we are to, to understand and think of our communion with God. And this is important because it, it directs us in a way to what it looks like to truly set God apart as we do no other. Right? Jesus commands that you would pray to the Father that his name would be hallowed. And now the question is, okay, what does that mean? Right? What does it mean to hallow something? That's not language we really use very often. What is it to hallow? A more familiar way that we could say it is to sanctify. Right? May may your name be sanctified. That's the prayer. Sanctify comes from the the idea of of being holy. The, The word holy, this is the verb form, right? To set something apart as holy. Um, holy, actually, that's kind of redundant because holy means to set apart, right? That something is made distinct and different than any other. We're, we're saying when we, we pray that something would be sanctified, uh, that, that it would be treated in the way that it should be, different than what may seem normal or normative. And when it speaks of God's name being hallowed, it doesn't just mean the the words, the the verbal formulation, God or Yahweh or Jesus. It it doesn't mean just those words. When Scripture speaks of someone's name, the name represents all of who this person is. God's name, which is manifold, by the way. We, We find many places where God gives his name, uh, many different names for the Lord. And all of these reveal something about who he is. So it's saying that may he, in all of his character, in all of his glory, may he be sanctified and set apart. 
So if we put it all together, that's the prayer. Right? God, may you be sanctified. Right? May you be held in holy regard. May you be treated as you deserve to be treated. That's the prayer. That's what you're praying when you say, hallowed be thy name. And you're praying that God's name would be hallowed in you, in his church, and in the world. That he would be hallowed in you. This is a prayer that God would be sanctified in your life. That the the holiness of God would be made manifest in you and how you live. That God would receive the glory and the praise that he is due. That you would reflect him as you should. This is to align yourself with him, much as we saw in the prayer of David earlier. In humility, recognizing the the covenantal plan and purpose of God and then, then aligning yourself with it. You're praying, when you pray this, that God would be hallowed or sanctified in your heart. That you would have a single-minded devotion to him. And that as he alone is God, so you would serve him like no other. There is no room to be divided in your affections and your loyalties between God and another. Your heart cannot be a a pantheon that has room for God, a place for God amongst all the other gods, amongst all the other desires of your heart, amongst all the other things you desire to serve. No, your heart must be a, a temple that is devoted to him and him alone. That's the prayer. That he would be held as holy And so you would be set apart for him. You're praying that God would be hallowed in your mind. That you would not think of him in a lesser way than he deserves. That you would learn to see and to know his character and his attributes. And as you know him more than than to be thinking of him in a proper way. God is not whoever you want him to be. And it it actually matters what you think of him. It matters how you understand him. Having a false understanding of who God is, is, that's not setting him apart as you should. When you think of God as, as much like any other God, just maybe the one that I'm choosing to follow right now, when you think of God as, as maybe like other people, just a little bit different, right? When you're not thinking of him truly as he is and as he's revealed himself, you're not truly sanctifying him in your mind. To pray this prayer is to pray that your mind would be renewed then, that you would be able to grasp more the character and nature of God so that you could think of him in a way that brings him the most glory. You're praying when you pray this that God would be hallowed in your actions, in how you live, that your life would declare something of of how glorious he truly is. 
One of the largest pressures that you face and will continue to face is simply the pressure to fit in. And in many ways, that's a human desire to to fit in, to find a place among others, right? To find your purpose in a community of other people. That's actually good. That's right, right? You're made to want to fit into a, a community, to a family, to find your place in the world through those community groups that you have. That's a good human desire. But that pressure, when it's applied by the world in rebellion to God, is something that you need to look out for and watch out for. It's all around you, right? This is, this is a great temptation that you're going to face. As the world in rebellion to God tries to put the pressure on you to say, be more like us. As you seek then to, to change how you follow God to fit better with what you're really trying to fit in with, right? With the world, right? And you start to change. Well, maybe I, maybe I have to change what I think about God, who he is, what he said, right? Maybe some of these things that he says, well, maybe that wasn't really him because it doesn't really fit with where all this pressure is coming from to conform. It's, it's quite literally the pressure to be in the world and of the world, right? To find your place and purpose according to the world, those that are far from God. It's an intense, it's a constant pressure to simply be like everyone else. But when you pray this prayer, you are praying to God that he would allow you to be in the world, but not of the world. That he would preserve you in the midst of that pressure, that your life would reflect his holy character. That the distinctiveness of your life would fit with the distinctiveness of your God. And as you align your heart to God in prayer, so you seek to align your life and and all of your work, everything that you do, everything, according to him right that he would be hallowed in your home that he would be hallowed in your workplace that he would be hallowed in in the way that you produce or create the pressure is always going to be there but who is it that you desire most to fit in with Right? Well, when we pray, may, may your name be hallowed. It's, I, I want to be like him. Right? I, w- I want to be like the Lord. So this is a prayer that the name of God would be hallowed in you. More than that, it's also a prayer that the name of God would be hallowed in his church, among his people, right? A- among his chosen nation, which is you, the church. Right? It, it goes all the way into everything that we do as a people. Right? What does it look like? Well, it's, it's a prayer that God would be worshipped in a way that's fitting, that fits who he is. Right? It's possible for us to treat God in our worship in a way that, that does not sanctify his name. 
right? There's a way that we could approach God that actually uh, casts disdain upon him, right? Or is shameful to bring before him because it, it treats him in a way that he shouldn't be treated. The worship of the church is, is supposed to sanctify him, Right, that he would be worshipped in a way that, that is fitting, given his holiness. So worship is not, uh, you know, primarily about us. It's not about you or, or some personal desires. Right, it's not about, you know, feeling comfortable. Right, not primarily, right? Obviously, you're involved. Obviously, we want, you know, to be the kinds of people that when we enter into the presence of God and we give him the kind of worship that he wants... We want to be joyful in that. We want to enjoy it. We want to be, be totally in. But, but the point is that it's, it's not primarily directed at that. Right? It's, it's directed at him. It's for him. Okay, very often, uh, even if, if you've been living far from God, and you come into his presence to praise him, it probably won't feel very comfortable Right? It probably won't feel natural. It, it takes time to grow into the kind of person that, that can draw into the presence of God and, and love it and enjoy it. But even so, it, what matters is that it's true, that it's right. What matters is that you truly find the source of life in God himself and are able to give him glory in the way that he desires. So our worship is to be directed toward God, and it's for Him. Right? And as a church, wherever our uh, gaze is focused, right, wherever our, our primary focus is, is that's what we're going to become more like. Right? That's the, the direction that we're going. Right? So if what we're doing here, if this is about us, if we're just looking kind of inward at one another, well, we're just, we're just going to kind of become an insular group. If, if all we're doing is looking at the world, we just want what we're doing here to fit in with the rest of the world. We want anybody to, to feel comfortable. Well, that, that too, it's just gonna, it's gonna draw us away, right, away from the presence of God. But if our, if our eyes are on the Lord, right, we're moving toward Him. Our worship is growing toward Him. And directed toward him and because he's the source of life because he's the creator of everything else um, everything else comes with them right it's it it's not to say that you're supposed to you know lose yourself in some way no it, in worshiping god and directing your gaze toward him as you should you become what you're supposed to be right you find your place where it is supposed to be worship is about him and it's for him and him alone right on on the most fundamental level, it's about treating God in the way that he finds pleasing and lifting up to him and offering a praise that's acceptable in his sight. Right? So the question when we, when we worship together, when we talk about, well, what is the purpose of the church? What should we be doing? Right? What should our life as a church look like? What should our community look like? Well, the question is, what does God find acceptable? What does God love? That's what we want. We want to be pleasing and acceptable in his sight. And not out of some kind of fear, right? Just like David 
we can approach God with confidence, with courage. Right? We, we don't have to be fearful as if we're, we're coming to be punished in some way. We can be of courage, but that courage comes from knowing that what we're doing is taking the shape of his revelation. It's, it's responding well to what he has first said. That it's directed by him, that it conforms to his holiness, his distinctiveness. And isn't he worthy of that? Right? Isn't God worthy of us being devoted to his glory, to his worship, to doing things his way? Of course he is. We pray in this prayer that our life as a people, that our love, that our unity would set apart God, would make it clear that this is the true God. Right? That's a question for us to ask ourselves. Does our love and our unity and our, our community as a people, as a church, really sanctify the name of God, really show that there is no one like this God? Because that's what we want. It should. It should be doing that. Right? When we pray this, we're praying that, that our faith and our hope would set him apart. That our joy would set him apart and sanctify him, saying, there, there is no one like our God. And so our hope is like nothing else. Right? Something that you can't get anywhere else. Our faith is the kind of faith that moves mountains, that, that can't be stopped, that is, that is set apart, that's different, because it's faith in one that is set apart and different. May God grant to us the kind of love and unity and fellowship and, and joy and hope and love that truly does that, that, that sets him apart as the one true God, that says in the midst of the world, there's no one like our God. Thirdly, lastly, that this prayer is a prayer that, that God would not be only sanctified or hallowed in you, not that he would only be sanctified or hallowed in the church, uh, but that he would be sanctified in the whole of the world, throughout the earth. God doesn't deserve your worship. He deserves all worship. He deserves everyone's worship. God doesn't deserve your praise alone. He deserves all praise and all glory. He doesn't deserve your prayers. He deserves everybody's prayers. He's the one true God. Jesus Christ has been given a name that is so far above every other name that every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that he is Lord. I was struck this week as I was reading a, uh, an early Reformed uh, pastor uh, commenting on the Lord's Prayer. His name is Herman Witsius. And he quotes uh, somewhat at length from uh, a first century pagan philosopher. Um, he's going to call him a Gentile philosopher uh, named Epictetus. And I want to read what, what Witsius quotes from him and some of his comments uh, because I think that it's profound. Witsius says this, he says, I cannot refrain, however, from quoting some observations of Epictetus, a Gentile philosopher, but in whose writings something greatly superior to what might have been expected from a philosopher and a Gentile may be discovered. So now he quotes them. 
It's a longer quote, but I want you to listen and try to, try to follow them. This is Epictetus speaking. If we were in good health, what else would we have to do in public or private but to adore and praise and bless the deity? While we were digging or plowing or partaking food, it would be proper for us to sing a hymn to God. He is the great God who gave us instruments for cultivating the earth. He's the great God who gave us hands, who gave us the capacity of receiving and digesting our food, who caused us to grow without perceiving it and to breathe while we were asleep. These would deserve separate descriptions of praise, and a hymn of far loftier strain would be due for that faculty of reason by which these matters are understood. What else can a lame old man like myself do but praise God? Were I a nightingale, I would perform the part of a nightingale. Were I a swan, I would perform the part of a swan. But since I possess reason, my duty is to praise God. This is my business. This I follow. I will not desert my post while it continues to be mine. And I exhort you, he goes on to say, to sing the same hymn. Those are powerful words. Witsius uh, follows that up and he says, Oh, how ought we to be ashamed of our indolence and inactivity when we read such a holy discourse, such a pious instruction from the pen of a Gentile, right? from the pen of a pagan, somebody far from God, and yet there it is. That's, that is our duty, right? You have been given reason. It's your duty to praise God. That's everything. That his name would be sanctified. That's everything. God is worthy of being sanctified in every heart, in every home, in every language. His praise belongs on every tongue. And a hymn of praise sung to him should be ringing out from every building. Right? This is what the world is for. To set him apart, to sanctify him. This is what you were made for. This is your purpose. This is what you were created in a particular way to do. In the particular way that God made you. He made you for this. Right? To sanctify his name. To praise him as he is due. Some of you have, have uh, been, been anxious or, or, or depressed or or just uncertain about life, you feel disassociated somewhat from life. Like you just don't know what your place is, what your purpose is, right? Why are you here? You feel disconnected from any purpose. But this is your purpose. This is what you're made for. This is what all of us have been made for, to take part in this song of praise, to sanctify the name of our God. That's what you're for. You possess reason, so your duty is to praise God. That's where it should all lead you. And it isn't your duty alone. It's all of our duty. Right? As uh, you know, Pastor Jim McCune would often say, God is worthy of your neighbor's worship. We want everyone to hallow the name of Christ. We want everyone to know and worship and sanctify the one true God in their hearts. We want everyone to bend their knees 
and declare with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's what we're praying. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, that's what we're asking God to do in us, in our church, in the world. Let's pray. Lord God, may your name be sanctified in our hearts and minds, in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our worship, in all of the earth. We pray, Father, that you would teach us your ways and that in seeing the glory of your character and nature, in seeing the splendor of your holiness, that we would respond by worshiping, praying, singing, living in those ways that treat you as you desire to be treated. Help us by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen.